0: 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Song is on on SAFM seems like I overplayed my hand with the request for two or three calls before we actually invited our guests to speak. There aren't any. I don't know why there aren't any, but the questions still stand. Is the Commonwealth in Africa still relevant? Hashtag African narrative is upon us as Ms. Sanusha Naidu, who is at the Institute for Global Dialogue as a senior research fellow there, offers us her perspectives. Good evening, Sanusha. Thank you so much for your time.
1: And thank you for the invitation.
0: Welcome back. It's been a while. How you? How have you been keeping?
1: I've been busy. I've been well. I've been staying safe. I hope you uh, you are safe and, and as well.
0: For the most part, I am indeed. That's good. The Commonwealth relevant, not relevant. Thoughts on that?
1: I think the Commonwealth, in the way that it was formulated, was very much formulated in the, in the immediate post-colonial period. Um, and, and to a large extent, it was relevant for that time. I, I think it has to go through a kind of reevaluation of how it presents itself as the kind of you know the UK being at the top and being the kind of uh, the, the the main the main actor or the main stakeholder in the Commonwealth. And then you have all these other affiliate countries, I will call them, who have become independent from the UK uh, or from Britain rather. And then of course you've got two countries, Rwanda and Mozambique, you know, Rwanda is not necessarily a British, a former British colony and no, uh, Mozambique. We know Mozambique is a former Portu- Portuguese colony. So I think in this day and time, with the ch- shifting architecture in the global arena, where we seen uh multipolarity, we have seen da- we competing tri- competing centres of power, both in financial, in social media and social spaces, in terms of cultural spaces, the rise of 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 different groupings like the BRICS, uh, the emergence of um, of 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 micta which is a, a grouping an informal grouping of um mexico indonesia australia turkey and south korea i think the question becomes is how does the uk retain the commonwealth to be relevant and i think the the, the the point to raise here is really the question and to flip it around and that is. Who needs who in the Commonwealth? Does, the, does Do the uh, uh, affiliate countries who are members of the uh, Commonwealth, do they need the Commonwealth more than the UK or Great Britain, or rather let's just say Britain for the moment, need the Commonwealth than African countries or the other members? And I think that's the bigger, uh, the bigger structural question for me when I think about the Commonwealth. So as much as we may say, is it relevant? Should it be relevant? Should we stay in it? I think what it does enable the members of the Commonwealth outside of Britain to do is to play the field, to be able to say, well, this is one one grouping or one structure that I'm in, uh, and it's fine, I can be there, but it doesn't doesn't prevent me from being part of other groupings. And I think that's the challenge for the identity of Britain going forward, is do they retain these kinds of values that are still very much around the post-colonial state and the way uh, Britain was a colonial actor in Africa?
0: The modern Commonwealth, as it were, is a post-World War II voluntary association of countries, and of course it is a voluntary association of countries that had previously been colonized or who at the time were part of the formation of the Commonwealth as we now know it, were still under the yoke of colonialism. Surely, surely, surely. This was just a get-out-of-jail card for and by the British so that they could, one, not be held accountable for the atrocity they had meted out in many of what they still are developing countries in the world today because of what they had done in the times. And more importantly and specifically, was it not a way for Britain to fund her her rebirth after the ravages of being involved in a world war?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a very important question and a narrative that you are raising, because I think the challenge for most of these kinds of engagements between uh, the former colonial powers and their col- uh, and their colonies uh, is really around the question or, or the issues that how much do you break the yoke from that? How much do you break the tradition of truth trying to remain influential over the structural, political, social, economic, uh, and even the way the 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 state emerges, the architecture and the bureaucratic nature of the state—that's the big dilemma in Africa. The, the dilemma in Africa is: has, have African states in the post-colonial period and after winning independence from colonial powers have they managed to break those ties? And if we look at the colonial state, or the post-colonial state in Africa, this question of of, of being able to uh, not replicate the colonial administration, not replicate the colonial bureaucra- bureaucracy, etc., still remains a big issue, a big uh, uh, a barrier to how, the, uh, how we interact or how African countries interact as independent actors, uh, actors that have agency in the global arena, which really comes to governance when it comes to the global economy so your point is very relevant in terms of saying can we not just start can we not just assume that we're starting off on an equal footing and i think if you if you cross-reference the way uh britain engages with africa and with its uh, with anglophone africa you cross-reference that with the way france uh, engages with west africa and you see this happening in the in the way that france hasn't really left West, west africa in in terms of the the post-colonial issues.
0: Britain hasn't left any of Africa in many respects. The vestiges of the United Kingdom or Britain are here. The language that you and I are talking is a vestige of the colonial era. The court system, the parliamentary system, how our institutions have been built, have been built for the most part to mirror those institutions and what happens In the international diplomacy space, in many respects, still pays, officially, unofficially, reverence to the Queen. For goodness sake, what (laughs) is it about the British Empire now in 2021 that makes it still so relevant that after King George, the father of Elizabeth, who's 94, going on 95, would still be the head of the Commonwealth, and yet the very same UK would decry African governments and other leaders around the world for hogging on to the post for too long. Why can't Africa be decisive? It is a bloc, it is independent, it has some fifty four countries, they've got mm. all the resources that the world needs. Why can't we arrange ourselves and for once forsake the vestiges and the yokes that attach us still, if not to Britain, to France?
1: You know, if you if you can give me an answer to a question, I would really appreciate it because it's a it's a question that keeps coming around in in terms of a loop. It keeps coming back to the external partnerships that African countries have, not just with former colonial powers, but emerging powers, uh, emerging actors, in terms of the rise of, of countries from Asia, rise of countries from Latin America, etc. It's the same question about how do you manage your relationship and your external par- your, your external partnerships with countries where you set the terms of engagement, where African countries can develop uh, a collective agency. And we know that 54 countries are not necessarily all going to be speaking from the same in-book or from the same page. But there has to be some collective agency that brings about a broad convergence around particular issues that is in the interest of Africa in terms of the development in terms of infrastructure, cross-border relationships, integration, um, socioeconomic economic uh, uh, development, and so forth. And these are the questions. And I think it's you know the, the, for, for 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 a long while the challenge of Africa has always been that people uh, other countries have looked to Africa as the go-to place where you actually uh, look at Africa to legitimate yourself. I think it's time that Africa says, no, 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 no. I don't It is to time come indeed. To- Just
0: hold the thought there, please, Sanusha. I, I have to take a net break. Here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> SAFM 106.1 FM in Durban North. Song is on, my on SAFM. We're talking about the relevance of the Commonwealth in the continent, particularly Africa, because this is that segment again, hashtag African Narrative, to dissect this particular discussion with us in studio, or at least on the phone, Ms. Sanusha Naidu, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue. I do have a couple of calls coming through now, and I do appreciate. But this is what Sanusha had ended the last point on. No, 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 no. And that was a conversation around re Rather, the rules of engagement clearly need to change. And the question is, whose rule will rule? That's the conversation. Twenty-one, twenty-four. not too much time left. Let's go to callers immediately. Sakile, after that, Jay in Durbin.
2: Yes, I think uh, it can be summarized into two uh, parts, soft power and neocolonization. colonization. But people who live in these commonwealth countries like South Africa and Zimbabwe, they don't even know what this thing does. Not even expert can even tell you. That's how bad it is. And the irony of the world, Commonwealth, is the world of Zimbabwe common to the to the to the British Empire. Wealth? Really? And the only thing that people know about this Commonwealth is like those Commonwealth games who are trying to mimic uh, Olympics games, that's it. And when you want to say, Okay, when will the powers the engagement change? I mean the perception has been see these African countries it's just corrupt their leaders is just corrupt that's why they can't run the economy not nothing works in africa but when you look at it if an african country can say anglo american please thank you very much please go now we will take care of our resources that country will be will be destroyed will be invaded us." that that's how the the engagement is geopolitical speaking thank you so much.
0: thank you so much sakila let's go to jay in Durban. i'm not so sure if it is entirely true when it is said nothing really works in Africa, and I think KGM would certainly have views on that, given the system that is deployed in Africa is in fact a system that is detached of the African context altogether. Twenty-one twenty-five, Jane Durban.
3: Hi, good evening to you and uh, Sanusha. I just want to bring uh, this part of this um, colonial system that existed in uh, in India, the way uh, they had to go through what they had to go through, and eventually how they broke away from the colonial system. They kept to their mother tongue the traditional and cultural values, and why can't Africa and the African country do the same? Um, Look uh, what Robert uh, Mugabe had done to um, Zimbabwe, holding on to that position and even went to the extent to go to the... Eastern country to renew and rejuvenate his life, to come back and still take control. So I think uh, I think Africa is one unique uh, continent. It's got its own mother tongue in various sectors that we shouldn't give up. We should fight to keep... We are so unique and original in that fact that each one of us got our mother tongue and in... In spite of the fact we have to have the global language, the English, uh, to communicate. But we should wear the crown of, on our head and remove it from the, crown, from the British crown. Yes.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks for you your thoughts. Much. much appreciated. Twenty-one twenty-seven. We really are running out of time. Mm, maybe one or two calls will do. But at this stage, your response is more important. Sanusha?
1: Yeah, I I think your callers have made some very salient issues, pointed out very salient issues with regard to perceptions, with regard to the fact that uh when you keep feeding the perception then you create the idea that Africa is more dependent than can be independent. And I think the point made by the last speaker about maintaining your autonomy around particular cultural values. Uh yeah, I take the point on in India. I think they've managed to do to, to retain that identity. But there's also the question of the fact that they're still grappling with a institutional architecture that's an overhaul from British colonialism. Uh one of them being the, the British uh licensing rat system which still prevents certain certain dynamics to evolve. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, what I wanted to say uh, before the break was that Africa needs to set the terms of engagement, but also it needs to say I legitimate myself and I give you, I don't, I'm not going to let you affirm me, but I'm going to affirm you.
0: What does Britain bring to the table at the Commonwealth? Why should countries be sucking up to or in that sense be affiliated to britain more especially at the time of the formation of the commonwealth what is it that they have brought that is indispensable for the survival of these countries
1: well at the at that time i think they were able to show that they were part of this kind of independent movement i mean if you look at all of the first generation post independent leaders they all studied in the uk they studied in british institutions so they replicated that back into into africa through the colonial to the post-colonial state. And what it, what it did was it reaffirmed Britain in terms of their independence. I mean, you know, the, the, the challenge here is also for, for African agency to recognize when African leaders need to, to, to leave office and decide we need to have competitive pluralism with re- leadership. Um, and it needs to be that. I think what's also critical as well is to recognize that most of the, the, the challenges that have been raised in terms of the Commonwealth and whatever, it's, it, it's really ceremonial. You know, it doesn't really have that kind of impact on the African continent or in Australia or in anywhere else. I mean, I think there's a lot of cherry picking on when you want to intervene and when you don't want to intervene. So I think at the end of the day, it's really about the question with regard to what it is that the terms of reference will be, and how that will change, and to answer your questions, Ingeza, I think that the, the challenge is at the time when it was performed, it was very relevant for Britain to re- still retain some linkages within the way it influenced the political landscape and and, and the architecture of post-colonial states. I think now the question can but be. But that was around. a
0: self-serving posture. It was but a self-serving. That's what I'm
1: now it's flipped around. If you let me finish the point, now it's been flipped around in terms of the changing global architecture and the nature of the existential crisis of the global arena. Because we are challenging the way in which narratives and models of frameworks of development, etc., that have been put into into the into the rules of the game and the question of standards, norms, etc., they are universal standards and norms. We can't we can't say they are they are not universal standards and norms that apply. But the question is. How do you make sure that those rules and standards don't become just the purview of one particular actor? And I think that's where the, the, the idea of redefining this, this Commonwealth comes in. So maybe it was relevant in terms of the self-serving interests before. But right now, I think that question and the relevance is being debated and unpacked because African civil society, African scholarship, African narratives, African debates are challenging that that there was a pre-colonial set of institutions that were much more important and and, and relevant for the the pre-colonial state in Africa.
0: There's pre-colonial, there's during-colonial, there's post-colonial. It's just that the global order has decided to give one particular narrative a primacy and a supremacy over others. But final parting shot, is this now the beginning of the end for the empire, for the monarchy, Given that one of their own has decided, and decisively so, to speak out. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I think in the UK or in Britain itself, you have monarchs who will still want to retain that. So that's that's definitely a domestic issue for them to decide whether it's the end of the empire for them. But clearly for me, I don't see it as part of my empire. I don't see it as part of my monarchy. I don't even have allegiance to that. And I think many other people, like your first caller had indicated, not many ordinary people in Africa, and perhaps maybe it's still relevant in other parts of the Commonwealth, but I don't think it has that relevance in
0: terms of Africa. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your thoughts, Ms. Sanushanaidu, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue. That was then the African narrative, asking the question, is the Commonwealth still relevant for Africa? To an extent, it has been answered. It will never be fully answered, of course. It's a philosophical conundrum, at the very least, that needs politicians to stand up tall and proud from Africa. And draw the line in the sand at some point and say enough is enough. Anyway, that's the end of the show, 21.32, two days down, two to go. Thank you so much for your time, everybody. Have yourselves a good evening.